0: First John chapter 5, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, people think are in the Bible, but in reality, they're not. You know, there's a lot of statements that people make, say, well, you know, the Bible says, and then they'll make some statement. Or maybe they'll say, well, you know, the Bible said, and then they'll say something. And, but really, some of those things that people say are in the Bible are really not in the Bible. For instance, see if you haven't heard this one right here before. Look up on the screens. In the last days, you'll not be able to tell one season from another, never heard that one before. Somebody said, "Boy, we must be living in the last days, because we can't tell one season from another. Now, this one pops up from time to time, especially when we have a warm winter or a cool or cold spring. And then, of course, in our day, we're constantly being, uh, you know, com- uh, constantly being confronted with something called a climate change in our day and global warming, and that's become a very hot political issue in our day. But you know something, really, that statement's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in all the 31,000 plus verses of our Bible that says in the last days, you won't be able to tell one season from another. But let me tell you what the Bible does say about that. Look at this verse right here. While the earth remaineth. While the earth remaineth. Let me put that for Forsyth County language. While there's a world. Can I have it, amen? While there is a world. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not. Don't sound like that's in the Bible, does it? God said as long as there is an earth, there's going to be a summer, there'll be a winter, there'll be cold, there'll be hot. I get it. Our, our, our world goes through uh, uh, goes through uh, certain seasons and certain periods of time. I get all that, but I don't think our world's getting ready to come to an end simply because of something called global warming. Do you? No, sir, not on your life. In fact, let me go ahead and just set your mind at ease about all that. If you think the world's getting ready to come to an end, this earth that we're living on, if if things stop today, it's going to last another and seven years. There's a seven-year tribulation period. This earth's got to go through. There's a thousand-year reign of Christ, millennial reign of Christ. This earth ain't going nowhere for at least a thousand and seven years, regardless of what the politicians or the meteorologists have to say. So i say, let's go out this coming Earth Day, April the 1st, and burn a tire. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's not in the Bible, friend. Uh, you know, in the last days. What about this? Here's another one that people say. Well, you know, the Bible says God helps those who helps themselves. Can I tell you something? I've heard that all my life, but that is not in the Bible. In fact, let me tell you this. Just the opposite is taught in the Bible. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps people who realize they can't help themselves. Can I have an amen? Can I stop and say, as long as you and I think that we can do something to help ourselves, we're excluding God from our lives. But when we come to the end of our rope and we realize there's not a good thing in me whatsoever, I can't do anything to lift myself up by my own bootstraps, there's a God in glory that says, okay, now that you're at the end of your rope, brother, I'll tell you, I'm not at the end of mine. I'll step in and help you. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps people who can help themselves. Can I have an amen? That's the reason in Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 3, we read this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God said, when you realize how broke you are, you're a good candidate to go to heaven. Can I have an amen? All of those things that people say are in the Bible are not necessarily in the Bible. However... There's some stuff in the Bible that some people think is not in the Bible. So this morning I'm beginning a brand new series of messages and I'm calling this series of messages that. Does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really say that? Over the next few Sunday mornings we're going to be looking at some things that the Bible really does say that people probably would doubt that it has something to say about it. So this morning I'm going to start with this one. Does the Bible really say that there is a sin unto death? Does the Bible really say that there's a sin unto death? Is there something that you and I can do that will bring certain death to us? Now I've got to stop before we go any further and say this. You know, really all death is caused by sin. Can I have it? amen? All death, according to the Bible, there would be no cemeteries, no graveyards, no funeral homes, no hearses, no crepes, whatever else. There'd be none of that had not sin entered our world. The Bible said in Romans 6, 23, for the wages, or let me say it like this, for the paycheck, or maybe I can say it like this, for the compensation of our sin is what? Is death. In other words, because of something called sin, we have death. There was no death before sin entered in. That's the reason in Romans 5 and verse number 12, we read this Wherefore, as by one man's sin, uh, sin uh, one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men. Why? Because all have what? All have sinned. I'm trying to say this morning there would be no death had there been no sin. Now, before I go any further, and you get mad at me and say, Well, my just my bless her heart, my great grandma just passed away, and she was one of the sweetest ladies I ever known in my life. How dare you stand up and say she died because of her sin? I didn't say necessarily she died because of her sin personally, but we all die because of sin universally. Can I have an amen? Because sin is passed down from generation to generation. We have something called death because of sin. But what does the Bible say about the sin unto death? Well, I want to stop this morning and I want to read you three verses in 1 John chapter 5. And then we're going to go back and say, "Does does the Bible really say? That there's a sin unto death. So let's read this now. Begin with me. First John 5, verse number 14. Let's read this together. These are great verses. If you don't have them marked, if you write in your Bible, if you don't have them marked, you ought to mark them. Here's a great verse. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence. Now, hold on. Synonym game. Somebody give me a synonym for confidence. What about Assurance. That's a good one, isn't it? If you're confident, you're pretty assured of something. So maybe I could even just read verse 14. And this is the assurance, the confidence that we have in Him, in God. That if we ask anything according to His will, according to God's will, say these next three words with me. He heareth us. Boy, that's a pretty good verse right there that says that when you and I pray in the will of God, guess what? We gain an audience with Almighty God. I mean, God listens to us when we pray as we pray in the will of God. That's why we ought to stop and really ask ourselves, is what I'm about to pray for? Is it in the will of God? Maybe we should pray more like this. God, uh, if it be your will... God, I want to know your will, so I will know how to pray. Reveal your will to me. Now, let me just stop while I'm here at verse 14 and say this. If you're lost this morning, can I tell you it is God's will for you to be saved. For those of us in this room that have people on our heart, on our prayer list that are unsaved, don't ever doubt that you're praying in the will of God. If you're praying for somebody to be saved, the Bible says that our God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. That God, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, will have all men to be saved and come of the knowledge of the truth. So when we pray for lost people to get saved, guess what? We're praying in the will of God. What does that mean? God's hearing us. That's according to verse 14. Now look at verse 15. And and if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions, the things that we're praying about, that that we desired of him. So verse 14 and verse 15 is about prayer. Would you agree with that? Now look at verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Now I got to stop before we go any further and say that the thoughts of a sin unto death... It's a little bit scary to think about, isn't it? That there is a sin that I can commit that will bring death to me. Now, again, we ultimately know all sin, all death is brought about by sin. But this verse seems to indicate there's one sin that maybe I can commit, ladies and gentlemen, that will bring death much more closer, much more prematurely than God intended for it to be in our life. You know, there are some things we can do to cut our lives short. Got to have an amen. Amen. Uh, God may want me to live a long life, but I can go out here and live and partake of things and do things uh, that are totally against the will of God for my life, and I can shorten the span of my life. And this Bible seems to indicate, verse 16, that there is a sin that I can commit that will bring death sooner than it maybe would have come. Now, this portion of scriptures I said a moment ago, is about prayer. It's about prayer. Verse 14, verse 15, and then in verse number 16, it talks about asking Asking, So we understand really all three of these verses are about the subject of prayer. Now, it's important for me to stop and just remind you that there's more than one kind of praying that we do. More than one kind. Look up on the screens. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, the Bible said, I exhort therefore that first of all, here we go now, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So right there we understand there are four types of praying. There's supplications. There's giving thanks. There's just prayer. And then there's something called intercessions. So there's four types of prayers that we pray. Supplications. That's when we ask God for specific needs in our life. That's when I go to God and in the name of Jesus, I say, Lord, here is a need that is in my life. And you tell me in the word to ask and it shall be given to me and to seek and I'll find and to knock and it shall be open." You tell us in the Bible, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. You tell us in the Bible, you have not because you ask not. So when I go to God with a prayer of I'm praying about specific needs in my life, things that I need for God to do in my life. That's prayers of supplication. Then there's a second kind of praying, not only supplication, but they just sang about this in a moment ago. What about prayers of Thanksgiving? You see, after we pray and God gives us what we pray about, I mean, man, the least we can do is stop, take at least a 30-second time out and say, okay, God, before I go any further, before I move on to the next subject, thank you for answering prayers. I got it in my mind where probably or at least I am way behind on thanking God for what He's done. So there's supplications, that's my needs. Thanksgiving, thank you Lord. And then there's just the word prayer. And, and that, that just means just talking to God. Now look at me, I'm not a schizophrenic. Probably ought to be on medication, but I'm not. At least right now. I might go to the doctor tomorrow and get some, I don't know. But I walk around, and if you see me walk around, sometimes you think that guy's crazy. He's talking to himself. But I'm not talking to myself—at least most of the time. I'm talking to God as you just walk through the hallways of the hospital. Or what do you think about that? Lord, would you help me with that? Lord, would you take me and guide me into? Your... I'm just talking now. Maybe not a lot, but you drive down the road beside of me. I'm over there just having a conversation, but it ain't with myself. I'm just talking to God. That's the reason in 1, John, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, about verse 14 or 15 or so, it says this, to pray without ceasing. That's just in conversation to God. Do you do that? We ought to keep a continual conversation with God going on in our life if we're a child of God. There ought to be, I mean, it ought to be just as natural as breathing air for you and I as God's people just to pray and just have a conversation with God. That's Prayer. But now here's what we're focusing in on, and that's the word intercession. Now, what are prayers of intercession? Well, prayers of intercession are prayers that we pray for other people. We uh, go to God on their behalf. We intercede on their behalf. We talk to God for them because maybe they can't talk to God, or maybe they're in no condition to talk to God. That's intercession. So when I pray for somebody that's lost, I'm interceding for them. When I pray for somebody that's uh, maybe the sick, I'm interceding t- uh, to God for them. Prayed any intercessory prayers lately? Well, that's what this passage then is all about. We are praying for people, but not just any people, but people specifically that are uh, brothers and sisters in the family of God who have gone out into sin. That's what this text is all about. That's what the sin of death is. It's all about. It is for a child of God because he said in verse 16, If any man see his brother. Now we're not talking about somebody outside the family of God. We're talking about somebody inside the family of God. The sin of death can only, the sin unto death, can only be committed by a brother or a sister in the family of God. That's right. And when, we, and when we, we understand this happens, then what do we do? We pray for them. Now, unfortunately, there's not a one of us in this room who don't know somebody who used to serve God and live for God, but they've turned their back and they've gone back out into sin. There's not a person in this room that don't know somebody who falls into that category. In fact, I could stop the sermon right now and say, all right, think of somebody. And you'd probably say, somebody? How about several somebodies? Somebody used to sit on the church pew or the seat there beside of you. Somebody used to sing in the choir. Somebody used to teach a Sunday school class. Somebody used to run a bus route. Somebody used to take up an offering. Maybe even some of us can think of people who used to preach the word of God, but they no longer preach. In fact, they're no longer not only no longer preach, they're no longer even in church anymore. I was in Walmart not too awful long ago and thank God from Walmart. What would we do as God's people without Walmart? <laughs> and I ran into a man that I used to preach revival for. I preached several revivals for this man that I'm talking about. And he was, he was a good man. He loved God and had a good church. I held several. When I say several, I'm talking five or six revivals for this man. And one day he just resigned his church, left his wife, Moved in with another woman. And to this day, that guy's still living with that other woman. When I saw him in Walmart, the other day, he acted like he didn't even know me. I walked up to him. How you doing, man? I ain't seen you in a while. He acted like he didn't even know me. like, was like, I, uh, who, who are you? We all know people like that. People that used to love God, serve God, but now they've thrown all that aside and they're living a life that is totally contrary to to the will of God. John says here in this text, you know what we better do? We better pray for people like that. We need to pray for them because, listen to me now, if we don't pray for them, there'll come a time when we can't pray for them. I didn't say that. John said that. Now you say, preacher, that sounds a little bit contradictory. Look again at verse 16. Here's what we read. The Bible says in verse 16, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. For them that sin not unto death, there is a sin unto death I do not say. He shall pray for. Sounds like to me God is saying, You better pray because there's going to come a time when you can't pray. That's what the Word of God has to say. If we see somebody that is messed up, boy, you better take it to God in prayer because there may come a time when God says, I don't pray for them. I'm not listening any more prayers to them. And when that happens, they have committed the sin unto death. Now let's, let's, let's divide this up. Look at verse 16. Let's talk about this. In verse number 16, there are three things that we really find about this fascinating subject. Does the Bible really say that there's a sin unto death? There are three truths that we find there in verse 16. First of all, we see number one, the problem. The problem, look at verse 16. If any man see his brother sin. Now let's stop and think about that for just a moment. See his brother sin. Now verse 16 talks about really two types of sin. There's a sin that's not unto death and there is a sin that is unto death. Now, when we read that, we might get the notion—the uh, I don't think it's the right notion—that some sins are worse than other sins. That some sins God will say, "Okay, you don't have to die for that one," and some sins, boy, that's terrible, and you're going to die for that. I don't think that's the idea at all. If you look down at verse 17, the Bible simply John just throws a blanket on it all and says, "This all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death." In other words, what he's saying is, listen, man there is a problem that Christians can still sin. The uh, truth of the matter is many people have the mistaken notion that once a person becomes saved, that person can't ever sin again. We've even coined, a, we've even coined an expression for that. We call it sinless perfection. There are some people who believe that once you become a Christian, you cannot any longer sin well i think anybody that's living in this body unless you're having an out-of-body experience you don't buy into that there's no such thing in the bible taught as sinless perfection i met a man one time who told me he hadn't sinned in over 20 years i said man put her there i want to shake your hand i hadn't sinned in the last 20 seconds 20 years, he hadn't even sinned. You know, the Bible said this same book in a few chapters earlier says this, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. I mean, let's just face it, friend, living in this body, living this, this experience here upon this earth, for me to no longer say that I sin, it may sound good, but the problem of that is not found in the Bible. In fact, some of the greatest Christians in the Bible had to deal with sin. Paul, one of the greatest men, without doubt, wrote 13, if you count the book of Hebrews, 14 of our 27 New Testament books said this, when I would do good, evil is always present with me. He said this in Romans chapter 7. Oh, wretched man, uh, uh, who shall deliver me from this bond? You know what? Paul was wrestling. He had an experience and he said this, man, I realize even though I'm saved, I'm trying to live for God and I'm writing all these books, starting these churches and winning these people to God, there is still a real possibility that sin can overcome me in my life. And there is a person in this room that doesn't have, within their, resting within their bosom, the possibility of messing up our lives not a one of us not a one of us I've said this before and I'll say it again but when God saved us God didn't fix us where we couldn't sin but he sure did fix us where we couldn't enjoy sin I'm telling you if you can enjoy sin you can go out and sin and enjoy it and uh, God never deal with you about that's a good sign you've never been saved you might have your name on our church roll, but friend you're as lost as a ball in high weeds and you need to come to Jesus this morning and get saved But he did fix us where we could not enjoy sin. I've told you this before. (laughs) I'm full of these things this morning. Can I say this? I thank God for my arms, they're always by my side. I thank God for my legs, for the support they've given me all through the years. I thank God for my fingers. At least I can count on them. You want more? But I will to tell you this, the only way any of us can live above sin is to get an apartment above a beer joint. We all sin. There ain't a one of us in this room that does not sin. And the problem is this, not only can we, can we sin, but the problem is that we do sin. Now, let me say this, if you're a child of God, that ought to be the exception and not the rule of your life. Can I have an Amen. If you're a child of God, it ought to be the exception and not the rule of your life to sin. I've said this before, and I, again, I'll say it again, but getting saved won't make you sinless, but getting saved sure ought to make you sin less. Can I have an amen? There's a problem here, and that problem is if we're not careful, we can become overcome by sin. But not only is there a problem, but don't you look at verse number 16. There's a possibility. And that possibility is this, that there exists a real possibility that even a child of God can be overcome by sin. As I said a moment ago, John here says in this verse, to those of us who have not been overcome by sin, here's how we should handle those who have been overcome by sin. In other words, he goes in verse 16 and he says, Okay, if any man see his brother's sin of sin, which is not unto death. Let's just face it, living in this world that you and I live in, there's a strong possibility that we may sometime or another see a brother or a sister in the family of God commit some kind of a sin. I never will forget one day that I was in the, and this tells you how long this has been, because I don't even think there's any Winn-Dixies around anymore. But I was in Winn-Dixie one time, and my wife had sent me to the store. i get a li- She'd give me a list. I don't know how you men are, but when she gives me a list, man, i go right by that list. I'm not coming home with a bag of Doritos and extra can of Vini sausages. I mean, I'm going by the list. So I had my cart, I was co- and I turned that aisle and started down another aisle, and there coming up the other aisle was a Sunday school teacher in our church with beer in his buggy. You know what I did? I seen a, I seen a brother sin. There exists a strong possibility that as you and I live in this world and just mull about our everyday business that we can see a brother sin a sin. Let me say two or three things about that. Look in this text. First of all, notice the observation. If any man see his brother sin a sin. Now notice John didn't say, if any man hear his brother sin a sin. John's not talking about a gossip He's not talking about a rumor. He's talking about being an eyewitness and not an ear witness. You picking up what I'm putting down. He's saying here in this text now, there's a strong possibility you might see. We don't go by ear witness, we don't go by rumor, by gossip, but we can see a brother sin. A sin. You know, one of the most dangerous, detrimental things to our church and to the testimony of any Christian individual is the spreading of rumors and gossip in the church. Telling somebody what somebody has only heard, or what maybe they heard somebody else say—that's dangerous, friend. Many people's lives, innocent people, have been hurt and destroyed because what somebody else has repeated that they only heard from somebody else. Let me tell you something. Really, gossip is is, is two sins. The first sin is the sin of commission because we're gossiping. And the second sin is the sin of omission because we should be praying instead of gossiping. So when we gossip, we do something we ought not do. That's the sin of commission. And we're doing something, we're not doing something that we should be doing. That's the sin of omission because we're gossiping about it. Let me give you four truths this morning to ask yourselves when you hear something. Number one, Truth number one, have you seen this or just heard this? When it comes to gossip, have you seen it or have you heard it? Boy, that would clear up a lot of stuff, wouldn't it? Well, I didn't see it. So therefore, I don't feel qualified to talk about it. Number two, have you already talked to God about it? Boy, that would cut down on a lot of gossip, wouldn't it? Somebody say, well, did you hear what so-and-so did know? But before I, you tell me that, uh, have you prayed about this? Boy, that stopped some... What about number three? Have you talked to this brother or sister in question about it? Have you gone to the person that that you're hearing this about? I'm telling you, it's going to stop. What about this? Has God told you to tell me that? (laughs) Boy, it's good to be back, ain't it? Yeah. Truth of the matter is, did God tell you to come and inform me about that particular situation? John said "It it is as you see A brother sin. We're not to be inspectors running around trying to catch somebody doing something wrong. That's not what I'm called to be. That's not what you're called to be. But in the process of daily living, let's just face it. At some point or another, you're going to see somebody do something that they should not do. There's observation. The observation leads to supplication or intercession. What does he say in verse 16? If any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not to death, he shall ask. And he shall give them life for them that sin not into death. John said, hey, when you see somebody mess up, what you need to do instead of taking that to your neighbor, take it to God. When he said, he shall ask what he's saying is the person who saw them sin shall ask God about it. Go to God about that. Don't go home, pick up the phone, start calling everybody and say, hey, did you? can you believe what I just saw brother so-and-so doing? First thing we need to do is get down on our knees and say, all right, God, I've seen this. I know you saw it. I don't have to inform you about this, but I'm burdened about it. And I just want to tell you, Lord, I love this individual. Please deal with their heart about it. Help them, God. Talk to God about it. Start praying for that person. He shall ask. He shall intercede on the behalf of that sinning brother or sister. While I'm here, let me just say a word to all of our Sunday school teachers in here. Sometimes I think we're all too quick. Somebody gets out of Sunday school and the first thing we want to do, we'll take their name off the list. I think instead of maybe putting, taking their name off the Sunday school list, we ought to be adding their prayer to the prayer list. Adding their name to the prayer list. And pray that God will give them their zeal and zest back uh, that they once had for the things of God to restore their testimony, their effectiveness to God. There's, There's the possibility, there's observation, and then there's supplication. And then look at verse 16, there's restoration. What does he say? He shall ask, and he, God, shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. What does that mean? We pray to God. And God will at least give them the opportunity to get that situation right in their life. That's restoration. You see, our main job and responsibility toward them that sin, look at me, is not condemnation. It's restoration. You've heard this before, but how many times have you heard somebody say this? Well, we shoot our own wounded person goes out, gets messed up, gets into sin, first thing we want to do, start running all over the place, tearing them down. I know they weren't real to start with. I know they didn't. Can I tell you something? It ain't but a thousand wonders. We all ain't been caught up in a mess. So instead of condemning somebody, you ought to first of all get in a prayer closet and thank God it hadn't happened to us. Can I have an amen? And pray and ask God to restore them, give them the opportunity to get right with God. That's what we ought to do as God's people. If I were to mention this man's name, his name is James Coffey. And it's not C-O-F-F-E-Y, coffee. It's like C-A-U-G-H-Y, James Coffey. Most of us in here have never heard of him. But I tell you, he was a mighty man of God back in the 1800s. In fact, James Coffey is the man who led William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. He's the one that led him to the Lord. He was was a genius. I say genius. He was a man that had the ability to reach people. He could just reach people. He could help people and reach people that had gotten out of God's will and reach people that were unsaved. Somebody asked him one time, why are you so successful? I don't understand. I try to do the same thing. I don't have near the results that you have. Why are you so successful? And here's what he said. Knee work, my friend. Knee work. And can I tell you something? If we're ever going to get that crowd back that's going away, look at me. going to take some knee work, my friend. Some knee work. So there is the problem, there is the possibility, but now we come to the meat of it. Look at verse 16. There's the peril. John says this in verse 16 there is a sin unto death. So we see them sin. We need to take it to God and not to others pray God give them the opportunity God deal with their heart help them to get right with God please Lord touch them and help them and we take it to God and then there may come a time that God will say okay I don't want to hear anything of us about it they've crossed the line They've, they've rebelled they refused for too long I have turned them over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh, that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And if you're wondering if I'm quoting King James, it's 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5. Now look at me. Let's try to piece all this together and wrap it up. The sin unto death is not just a one particular sin. I think it's more of an attitude than it is an action. You know what? Here's this guy that goes out and falls into sin. God's people begin to pray for him. God's people beg God to touch his heart, her heart, help them get back right with God. We know automatically, listen, sin in the life of a child of God is no light thing. It should never be taken lightly when sin enters our life. Let me tell you something, the most dangerous position you and I will ever find ourselves in is the, is the position that we find ourselves in right after we sin. And when we sin, buddy, the next move is so important in our life. What is the next move? For a child of God, it's confession. It's going to God, getting right with God. God, this happened. I'm sorry. By the way, Lord, I say the same thing you did about it. It's wrong. It's wicked. It's ungodly. It's not a mistake. It's not an indiscretion. It's not a boo-boo. God, I say what you said. If it's wicked, it's ungodly, I can't believe I did something like that. Oh, God, please! you know what we're doing? We're saying the same thing God's saying about it. That's true confession. But here's an old boy that God gets out into sin and the church begins to pray. People are praying for him. We know that God, when sin enters into the life of a believer and they do not confess it, God immediately springs into action because he knows that sin's going to hurt us. So he does two things. Let me wrap this up. Here's the two things. Look at this verse right here. God said, as many as I what? Not hate, but as many as I love. What do I do? I rebuke and chasten. So what does God do? Well, when a Christian goes out into sin, the first thing that God does, God speaks to them. God has a preacher. God has somebody in the Sunday school class, a Sunday school teacher. God has a fellow believer that will go and speak to them, confront them about that sin. God speaks. But if speaking don't work, then spanking will work. That's the reason he said, I rebuke, that speaking, and do what? And, now there, you can't deny there's something in our Bible called chastisement. That's the reason over in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 and verse number 6, we read these words. The Bible said, for whom the Lord loveth, as many as I love. God doesn't hate people. God loves people. And when people in God's family start to mess up and they're going away from God and they're moving towards sin and they're moving back out into the world, God speaks to them. God has a preacher to stand up, preach a message on backsliding. I never will forget one Sunday morning, this old boy rolled into church down at the former location. He is as backslid, as cold as God, as a hound's tooth, or the other side of the pillow. Man, he was out of the will of God. And that morning, I mean, I didn't know he was even coming that morning. I had no idea he was coming. And I preached out of Psalms 137 on backsliding believers. That guy hadn't heard me preach one time since I preached that message. Can I tell you something, friend? God had a word for that gentleman that morning. And that man rejected that word. And I want to tell you something, friend. There is a sin. If you keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting the word of God, God will say, that's enough. You've gone too far. And then he will say to you and to me, don't even pray about it anymore. You say, preacher, where's that at in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Look at this verse right here. Jeremiah 6, 17. Also I set a watchman over you saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not hearken. And then there's a verse right under that that says this. God says, therefore do not pray for them, for I will not hear you. It is sad indeed when a Christian goes away from God and gets back out into sin. And God sends a preacher, a teacher, a Christian, a fellow believer by to confront them about it. God begins to chastise them, deal with them about that sin and they keep on going farther and farther and farther away. God will say to his people, that's enough. Don't even pray for them anymore. They've gone too far and God... Will turn them over to the devil. God will lower the hedge. You know, the devil has to get permission from God to do anything to God's children. You know, some I love, and I'm not going to whoop everybody, but I don't want nobody whooping my children but me. If you whooped them, we'd probably have a real problem. I don't even, I don't even want nobody whooping my dog but me. And God will not whoop the devil's babies but God sure will whip His own. And when you and I go away from God and God deals with us and we just keep on drifting and drifting, wait a minute, I know what you're thinking, but preacher, I know so and so, they've been out of church 25 years. They're drinking Bud Dummers, Miller Low Life, smoking weed, cutting grass, snorting meth. They're living with five women and you mean to tell me, no friend, not everybody who says they're saved is really saved. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. There's a whole lot more people who are not saved who say that they're saved than are saved who say that they're saved. If a man can continually and continually drift and go away from God and the church pray and beg God to step into that situation and God doesn't do anything, that's a good evidence. They ain't never been saved to start with. God won't whip the devil's babies. But he sure will wear the daylights out of his own young young'uns. And if you're truly a child of God, friend, and you're starting to turn your back and go away from God, I beg you in Jesus' name this morning, you better, you better get that right with God because sin and the life of a child of God is no laughing matter. Can I have an amen? Does the Bible really say, oh yeah, friend, the Bible really says that a Christian can go so far that God will say, that's enough. Don't even pray for him anymore. How sad. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray.